Now, before we go into the story, the Bible passage we're going to talk about today, I need to kind of acknowledge something that's happening uh, in our culture. Um, And what that is, is that Marvel and DC and Disney Plus and all these people are finding new ways to get my money. Because all of a sudden, there is this superhero phenomenon in our culture. And so maybe you're a Marvel fan and you got caught up in WandaVision or you're looking forward to, to uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier coming out. Or maybe you're a DC fan and you're looking forward to the Justice League Snyder Cut coming out. But superheroes seem to be just kind of it right now. They're trending in our culture. And when you think about superheroes, here's the one thing that I was thinking about the other day. I am astounded by something when it comes to superheroes. I am astounded by this. I'm astounded by the power of glasses. Here's what I mean by that. Superman. You see Superman, he does all of these things, he does all of these these feats of strength, and he saves the day, and everyone knows him as Superman, but if he puts glasses on, he is Clark Kent. And occasionally, occasionally, these people who know him and who have been around him all the time as Superman, occasionally they're in his presence and he takes the glasses off and all of a sudden they're like, whoa, you're him. And whenever I see that, I'm always like, what in the world? Like, how dumb can you be? They're glasses. Like, how are the glasses stopping you from seeing that person for who he really is? And if I was honest, there are times when I read the Bible and I look at the disciples and I think the same thing. I'm like, seriously, how are you not getting it? I mean, the guy is feeding the hungry. He's healing the sick. He's walking on water. How are you not getting who he is? Well, today we're going to look at a story where the Clark Kent glasses come off. And for three of Jesus' disciples, they actually see Jesus in all of his glory and see him for who he is. Today, we're going to be reading from the book of Matthew, and we're going to be reading a story that's called the Mount of Transfiguration. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, make sure you reach out to us. We want to give you one. It's our gift to you. It's free. We believe that the Bible is filled with life-changing truth, and we want you to have access to one. So we're going to be reading from Matthew 17, starting at verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell 
anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. There is so much in this story, and I have to tell you up front, I'm not going to be able to cover it all. We only have so much time. We could actually spend several Sundays looking at just this story. And so what we're going to look at today, though, what we're going to look at is this. In this story, the king is revealed. In this story, there are different things that are revealed about Jesus. And so what we will learn is we will learn about how the role of Jesus is revealed We will learn about how the identity of Jesus is revealed, and we will learn about how the mission of Jesus is revealed. The role, the identity, and mission of Jesus. And as I said earlier, this story is, it's pretty amazing. There's nothing like it in the entire Bible. It even has cameos. It even has these brief cameo appearances. And it comes in the form of Moses and Elijah, Moses and Elijah are characters from the Old Testament. They're in the first half of the Bible, the time that occurs before Jesus is born. And their appearance is not just something cool, but their appearance actually reveals to us something about Jesus. Here's what we need to understand. We need to know a phrase in order to understand the importance of Moses and Elijah. And the phrase is this. In that culture, in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish religion, a phrase would be said over and over again, and the phrase would be this, according to the law and to the prophets. According to the law and to the prophets. And here's why that phrase was said. God would speak to his people Israel. God would speak to his people through the law and the prophets. He first spoke to them through the law, through the Torah, by giving them the commands they were to follow. He then later spoke through the prophets. And Moses is the face of the law. Moses is the face of the Torah. Elijah is the face of the prophets. If you were to pick the poster child for the law, you would see Moses. If you pick the poster child for the prophets, you would see Elijah. And here is what God spoke to his people through the law and through the prophets. When he gave the law, what ended up happening was this. The law could not be followed perfectly. The law was not able to be followed perfectly. And that's a problem because God is perfect. He is fully holy. And so if we cannot follow the law perfectly, if we are unable to do that, we are then filled with sin and are not able to come into the presence of the holy God. There is separation that occurs and there is a consequence. And so the law reveals that there is a need for another solution. There is a need for a savior. God speaks to the prophets, and when he speaks to the prophets, what happens throughout those uh, prophets speaking is that God also reveals his promises, his promise. 
God promises that he would provide the solution, that he would provide the Savior. Now let's go back to the Mount of Transfiguration. If we look at it through the lens of that phrase of, according to the law and to the prophets, here's what we will learn. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He is the needed Savior that was promised. He is the solution that God provides. And when we see that Jesus isn't simply just a part of the story of Moses, when we see that Jesus isn't simply a part of the story of Elijah, but in fact is the fulfillment of their stories, in fact is what their stories actually point to, in fact is what the entire Bible points to, that Jesus throughout all of history, all of history points to Jesus because history is his story. When we see that, we can never approach this the same way again. Because the Mount of Transfiguration reveals to us the role of Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the law. He is the fulfillment of the prophets. He is the solution that God provides. Everything points to him. And when we understand the role of Jesus, we're ready to grasp the identity of Jesus. Because the Mount of Transfiguration also reveals to us the identity of Jesus. But before we get into the identity of Jesus, we need to understand the mistaken identity of Jesus. And in order to do that, we need to look at a guy that I'm really fond of. We need to look at Peter. Peter is one of Jesus' disciples. He's one of those that are close to Jesus, and he's one of the three that Jesus takes up onto the mountain. I love Peter. I love Peter. Here's why I love Peter. He's a screw-up. I mean, he's constantly making mistakes. He's constantly putting his foot in his mouth. He's constantly acting without thinking. He is a screw-up. I love that because I'm a screw-up. I love that grace has been shown to Peter over and over again because then there's hope for me. But Peter, in the story right before the Mount of Transfiguration, there's a story that happens right before this one. In fact, it actually happens a few days before this event. Peter makes this bold claim about Jesus. And here's what he says. He says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And that's true. Peter actually gets it right. His words are correct. But the problem is that Peter actually doesn't fully understand what he's saying. And as we read that story, and if you ever want to read it and talk about that, go ahead, give us a call. We'll love to talk about that. But the story right before in chapter 16, Peter reveals that he doesn't even understand what he's saying. He has the right words, but he doesn't get it. He misses it. He misses it. Now let's go back to the story on the mountain. Let's paint the picture. Jesus is transfigured. What that means is that his appearance changes. And what we see in the Bible is that his appearance becomes one where his, his, his face shines like the sun. His clothes are as white as light. He is revealed in all of his glory. 
And Peter misses it again. And here's what he does. He sees this, this moment where Jesus is revealed in all of his glory. Jesus' appearance has been transfigured. It has changed. And Peter's response is this. Let's build three shelters. Let's build one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. That sounds like it's a good thing. It sounds like, hey, Peter's just trying to be a helpful guy. But if you read the other accounts, you'll see an interesting note. It'll say, Peter said this because he didn't know what he was talking about. You'll actually read that. And what ends up happening, here's the mistake. When Peter sees this, what he's doing is he's elevating Jesus to the status of Moses and Elijah. And that's completely incorrect. Moses and Elijah aren't anywhere close to Jesus' status. And God corrects Peter in a moment. It says, as he was still speaking, this cloud comes over and a voice says, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. In an instant, Peter is corrected. And this is extremely important because what God does is he reveals, reveals the deity of Jesus. What God does is that he takes what is occurring internally in Jesus and he proclaims it externally. And here's why that's important. Christianity isn't simply about the teachings and actions of Jesus. It is about the deity of Jesus. It is not just about the teachings and actions of Jesus. It is about the deity of Jesus. The fact that Jesus is fully man and fully God. It isn't just enough to follow the teachings of Jesus. We have to follow the person of Jesus. We have to understand that Jesus is fully God. And Peter misses it. Peter sees the greatness of, of two people that he has revered, and, and he places them on the same level as Jesus. He puts them on the same pedestal as Jesus. But before we judge Peter, the reality is, is that at times, maybe we have done that as well. At times, I have done that as well. And what we need to understand is that no one, no one belongs on the pedestal but Jesus. No pastor belongs on that pedestal. No pope belongs on that pedestal. No politician belongs on that pedestal. No boyfriend or girlfriend, no anyone belongs on that pedestal. That pedestal is reserved for Jesus and Jesus alone. And the reason that's important is because the one on the pedestal is the one who has authority. The one on the pedestal is the one who has authority. What does God say at the end of his statement? He says, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. Our response as followers of Jesus needs to be that we listen to what Jesus says. And so on the Mount of Transfiguration, the role of Jesus is revealed. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Everything points to, to that. Everything points to Jesus. And when we grasp that, we are then able to see how God reveals the identity of Jesus. He reveals that Jesus 
is fully man, but he is fully God. The deity of Jesus is revealed. And all authority belongs to him. And our response needs to be to listen to him. What is he telling us to do? What are we to listen to? Well, in order to understand what we need to listen to Jesus for, we need to understand his mission. We need to understand the mission of Jesus. What I love about this story of the Mount of Transfiguration is that it actually occurs in a sandwich. There are two conversations that bookend the story. One happens in the days before this event, and one happens as Jesus is walking down off the mountain. And they are the same information that the same information is communicated in both of those conversations. This story occurs in a sandwich. I don't know about you, but I love sandwiches. And here's the thing about sandwiches. We know what a sandwich is by what's in the middle, right? You have a ham and cheese sandwich. Why? Because what's in the middle? Ham and cheese. You have a tuna sandwich. Why? Because what's in the middle? Tuna. You have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Why? Because there was nothing else in the fridge. (laughs) We know the sandwich by what's in the middle. But anyone who appreciates a good sandwich will tell you this. The most important part of the sandwich is the bread. What surrounds the middle, what surrounds the middle allows you to appreciate the fullness of the sandwich. What surrounds the sandwich of the Mount of Transfiguration allows you to appreciate what actually happens. I said that there were two conversations. Here is what Jesus said in both of those conversations. He proclaimed his death and he proclaimed his suffering. He proclaimed his death and he proclaimed his suffering. And the disciples did not get it. In fact, they reject that. But Jesus understands that the cross has to come before the crown. He understands that the cross has to come before the crown. His mission is one of the suffering servant. And so what does he ask his disciples to do? To continue his mission. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 Right before the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Here's something that we need to understand. We cannot claim the gift of salvation that comes through the cross, without also claiming the cross. We cannot claim the gift of salvation that comes through the cross without also claiming the cross. Jesus has called us to continue his mission. And if you are following Jesus, you have to live out that mission. But what is that look like? And what happens when that cross is actually necessary to pick up? How do you 
actually live out that mission? How do you do that? Well, in order to continue to walk towards the cross, you need to keep your eyes fixed on the truth of who Jesus is, on all of his glory, on what is revealed in his role and his identity, on the fact that this very same Jesus who is fully God was the Jesus who approached the disciples at the end of the story and says gently to them, do not be afraid. This very same Jesus who is fully God was the one whom they ate with, the one who desires intimacy with them and desires intimacy with us. When you keep your eyes focused on Jesus and who he is and on all of his glory, you can continue to walk towards the cross. And to give you an example of what that looks like, we're going to go back to Peter. We're going to go back to one of the eyewitnesses. I love Peter. Peter writes a letter. We're going to take a look at it now in 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter outlines what your life would look like if you're following Jesus. He outlines what should be exhibited in your life. And here's what he says. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And then he describes what this divine life is, what, what, what this following of Jesus is. Here's what he says. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. That's a tall order. I want to say that every day when I look into the mirror that I can describe myself this way, but the reality is there are far too many days that when I look into the mirror, this is not what I see. And what you need to understand very, very carefully is who Peter is writing to. Peter's writing to a persecuted church. The people who he actually writes this letter to are people who are suffering, who are imprisoned for their faith, whose families are being ripped apart, who are actually dying for their faith. Peter is writing to a persecuted church. What anchors Peter to allow him to go forward in the midst of persecution to live out this godly life? What anchors Peter in the midst of the valleys of life? It's his memory of the mountaintop. Verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I, lo whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. In the midst of the valley, Peter reminds himself of the glory of the mountaintop. He reminds himself of when the glory of Jesus was revealed to him. 
You see, it took the cross and it took the resurrection for him to fully understand what happened on that mountaintop. But when he understood it, everything changed. And so in the midst of the valley, he remembers the mountaintop. So what do I want you to do? I want you to remember the mountaintop. That moment or moments when God became real to you, when Jesus became real to you. I want you to remember those moments when God was just intimate with you. Maybe it was the first time you decided to follow Jesus. Maybe you're a student and you've been to Harvey Cedars or to one of the retreats and God just met you there. Wherever it is, I want you to remember that moment when the glory of Jesus suddenly became real to you. Because the reality is that many of us have been through some valleys. Many of you are still in those valleys. And I want to remind you of the mountaintop. Remember when you saw the glory of Jesus and remember how it felt. Remember how it changed everything. And then I want you to tell someone. I want you to tell maybe uh, a friend or someone in your small group or your spouse or your child or your parent. Tell someone. Relive this memory. Hear from them. Have that dialogue. Remember the mountaintop. Because once you do that, what I want you to do then is remember this. We need to listen to him. We need to listen to him and continue his mission. We need to listen to him and pick up our cross. We need to listen to him and love others. We need to listen to him and obey what he commands us to do. And the way we do that is by remembering who he is. And if you're listening to me and, and you're like, you know what, I've never actually had that happen. I'm kind of exploring this whole Jesus thing. I'm not there yet, but I have some questions. I would love to talk to you. Our pastors would love to talk to you. Our staff would love to talk to you because, because there is no greater joy that I could have than for you to realize who Jesus is and for your, for your heart and your eyes to be open to his glory because once that happens, everything changes. So if you want to talk to us, give us a call. We'd love to talk to you. Guys, the role of Jesus in the story is this. Everything points to him. All of the Bible, all of history points to Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He is the necessary savior that God promised. And on top of that, his identity is proclaimed. Jesus is fully man, but he is fully God. We are not following the teachings and actions of just another great man. We are following the teachings and actions of God himself. And because of that, he has complete authority. He has complete authority. So as a church, let's listen to him. Let's listen to him and continue what he started. As we connect and impact with our Lord and Savior and he impacts our lives, as we connect with him and he impacts our lives, let us go forth and connect with others and impact the lives of others because, because, 
Remember the moment where everything changed, when your heart began to just just beat a little bit quicker, when everything around you that was, was not going the right way somehow didn't seem to matter because somehow you were able to see who Jesus was. Remember that someone needs that. Someone needs to know who Jesus is, and we are the ones who need to tell them. Let's be that church. Let's continue what he started. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for how great a God you are and how great your love is. Lord, I ask you that for anyone who is going through the valley right now, that you would remind them of who you are, of you will remind them of the moments of intimacy you've had with them. Let their hearts be filled with a joy that cannot be contained. Let their, their, their hearts be filled with an awareness of how great you are and let that not be contained and let it be something that they proclaim with their words and their actions. Lord, let Calvary Church be a church that is so consumed with an awe of who you are that we cannot help but tell everyone about you. I ask you that you will bless this church and that you would fill them with strength, that you would fill them with courage, that you would fill them with wisdom so that we will go and connect with others and impact their lives with the gospel. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.